0: Hey guys, this is Olivia just dropping in to let you know that we had some minor audio issues in this episode. There's a little bit of audio peaking, a little bit of fluctuation, but nothing too serious. And we've managed to figure out what the cause of this was, and it hopefully will not happen again in future episodes. But until then, enjoy the episode.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode four of the Real Scholars Podcast.
0: We made it to episode four.
1: Yeah, I'm we're surprised. We're actually
0: here. I yeah, thought was one surprising us would, for all of us.
1: I thought one of us would have quit by now. And um, they
2: might after this episode.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, first, we have a, a very special guest to introduce uh, another friend from school uh, who is in the film club along with us because we're all nerds, as we've mentioned before. But uh, welcome, Zenaida. Do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> introduce yourself
3: a little. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm Zenaida. I'm a freshman, and I really like movies. And I'm really excited to do this.
2: There's no better introduction than that. <laughs> that wasn't sarcastic. <laughs> it's hard to tell when you're being I assumed. Mean. It was Miles.
1: <laughs> I just assume everything you say is like completely. Most well, the time, you're right about that, but no. All right. Well. One serious thing we will talk about today is Greener Grass, uh, which I recommended last time.
2: Sorry, could I just clarify? Did you say serious?
1: We'll find out, I guess. I don't know how serious this is going to be um, or how seriously you all took the movie. But first off, I just want to get like initial thoughts uh, for, from everyone because I've oh. seen this before. Initially, I
0: I think that serious is absolutely the wrong word to use to describe this conversation that we're going to have of the movie, because this movie was batshit crazy, like insane.
2: I I completely agree. Every time, I I mean, I was sort of like texting throughout the movie uh, to you guys, sort of my initial impressions, uh, and you guys said it got worse and then i was like there's no way this movie's already so weird and and interesting but like in such a strange way and and then it just got weirder and i mean my jaw literally dropped at like multiple points in the movie and i was like how is this real like why did someone make this (laughs)
1: yeah
3: i saw like in one of the parts of the movie i thought it in the conversation with jill and miss human Well, I don't know if I'm, like, allowed to spoil it. We're going to spoil
1: everything. We're
3: going to spoil everything. Okay, so, yeah, so she's talking and she's, like, giving them, she's giving her her son's underwear. This is really weird context. And then just, like, out of nowhere, the teacher starts talking about how her mother killed her, like, (laughs) her brother and her father. And then how the beanbag was, like, made by her mother or whatever. Anyways, that part was just it summarized the movie completely it just gets weirder and weirder as you keep watching
1: yeah um this
0: it it really kind of reinstores my faith in people as filmmakers this was pure this movie was pure i felt it was i don't know if
1: i would I've, if raw content right, right,
0: right. i felt like it was raw con- content it was the type of content that you don't know you want to see more of in movies until you actually watch it, and that might even be giving the movie too much credit. But I feel like it. I feel like this deserves some credit just for being out there, you know.
2: I disagree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, do do we want well, to do we want to give a, a quick synopsis before?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll give a is.
2: synopsis.
1: Um. Uh. So this is a movie about a woman named Jill Davies who lives in a picture-perfect kind of Barbie-esque world where um, all she had like her most uh, pressing worries are that her son has spilled orange juice on her car which instead of cars they all drive golf carts Um, and the initial conflict of the movie is that uh, in a movie that has very little conflict in it aside from like Just, it feels very episodic. Uh, The first conflict in the movie is that Jill gives her friend her baby. As in like, she just gives her the baby. Like, oh, do you want her? And then her friend says, oh yeah, of course. And they all talk like that. And they all wear braces. And And they all dress in these pink and blue and purple outfits that look like um, costumes you would put on a doll. And they live in these picture perfect houses. Uh, and it's just very, it's very unsettling in a way that I have not seen in any movie before. And it just kind of continues on like that presenting these absurd situations where it seems everything seems fairly normal on the outside. And then something happens in the society that just makes you go, you have to kind of do a double take and figure out like, did they really just do that? And there's gonna be no repercussions for that or there's gonna be no no one's gonna notice that the woman just put a soccer ball up her up her shirt and everyone thinks that she's actually pregnant stuff like that uh where it just goes completely ridiculous and it ends in a just in a even more ridiculous soccer. way
2: what's that then she reveals this, this soccer ball and no one is like no nah, that's that's weird yeah and, and they, they call like, it they call yeah. it twilson
3: Or the fact that the sun literally turns into a dog. Yeah, that was one of of my jobs.
0: It is the suburb of the suburbs.
3: Yes, it reminds me. Yeah, yeah, it really reminds me of the movie Pleasantville, the one with like Tobey Maguire and Reese Witherspoon. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, it's like it's like that, but worse. (laughs) I don't. It's so weird.
2: They all live in a town where they know each other. It's like a, it's like a perfect utopia, but then there's kind of like a dark undertone to it as well.
3: Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. So let's get into discussing that also. So, um, let's talk about these characters, uh, Jill and Lisa, the two main characters, um, who are also the writers and directors, uh, played by Jocelyn DeBoer and Jill and um, Don uh, Something. I don't know how to pronounce her last name starts with an L uh, they're the two main actresses and the two directors and they play Jill and um, and Lisa so what do you guys th- what do you guys think of them what do you guys think of their characters
0: I thought the acting was phenomenal and when you first kind of watch the movie it seems that these two women are just shallow and brainless. All they do is sit, they take care of the kids, they watch their children play soccer, they cook, they clean. That that seems like just what they do in life. But then I think the movie does a really good job of the character development progressing without you actually realizing it's happening to an extent. Like they still seem like the same people, but then shit starts happening around them and you realize, wow, these people may have been like the cause of what is going on. And I think that a really big part in um lisa's character in jill's character especially is her inability to say no she is a people pleaser she cannot say no to anything when she when she gives her baby away she's like oh you can you can have it but then when she wants the baby back and she asks for her baby and uh the and lisa declines well she she just accepts it she doesn't try to like get back at her anything but she's a people pleaser for lack of a better term
1: yeah uh i think that part of this whole, like the problems in this society is that uh, is especially represented through Jill who just kind of accepts the world as it is and doesn't question anything. Um, Much like how, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Lisa at one point puts a soccer ball up her dress and everyone just believes that she's pregnant because she tells them so. Um, And that's where I think a lot of the um, absurdities of this movie come in where the culture and the society is just kind of accepted as it is. And therefore, it's completely arbitrary. No one questions anything, um, especially the main character, Jill, um, who, as you said, she just kind of goes along with everything. So, uh, so I think that's really part of the theme here is that in, it kind of acts, asks us to look at our own society and see like what norms we just accept on a daily basis and how we should maybe question them and how ridiculous they are. Um, because a lot of the norms of like suburban white soccer moms, like you recognize a lot of that uh, in these characters. Um, So I think it does kind of draw itself toward like contemporary society.
0: And the other thing is that when you first start watching the movie, you might, you you kind of think to yourself, how the hell am I going to be able to relate to these like 30 something year old moms just living in like, it looks like Florida or whatever, but they just live in the suburbs. like, how, can I develop a relationship and a desire to want to continue looking at these people's stories? But, in the, but then the more you watch it, the more you just get absorbed into what they're doing. It's just, they just talk and they act in such a particular way that plays really well into the, like the ominous environment that the movie, the, that the entire movie is set in. And I think that just really works for in keeping your attention as the movie progresses and you can't peel your eyes away from the screen at some points
2: the um the dark undertones that i mean it's called greener grass so obviously the theme that they're trying to push is that the grass is always greener on the other side um and and you kind of see that in the film but it's just i don't know in in my opinion there's just so much more of a normal way they could have they could have told that story <laughs> i mean the the absurdity of it was certainly interesting but it definitely uh, got me to ask why <laughs> like it it was <laughs> It made for a an extremely unique movie watching experience, but um, I I wonder whether that is something that is good or
3: not. I think that in a lot of of times like absurdity can be really okay. Like the first movie I really think of when I think of absurdity is like maybe Grand Budapest Hotel. It just has kind of a weird plot, a weird way of it being directed and sort of, it's strange yet the absurdity kind of makes sense within the story. And um, and though I actually did like this film, The Greener Grass, um, I felt like at times the weirdness just didn't make sense at all. And I didn't understand why they put it there. Like like, um, for example, they were at they were all at a baby shower for her being pregnant with like a soccer ball. And and then they eat a sandwich and they just throw up this pink liquid. And I'm like, why did they do that? It doesn't make sense. Oh, it just like certain things I understand, but like certain things it's just it was such a weird choice to make and I didn't really get it. So
1: Yeah, I think personally some of that stuff on the whole it's clear what the movie is trying to do it's trying to in my opinion just dissociate you from the world even though some part of it seems familiar um it dissociates you uh by presenting these just weird occurrences that you take that everyone takes as um reality and everyone takes as the norm um so it's dissociative in it and it causes the viewer to kind of look at the events and this like otherwise normal setting um in a new way. Uh however, some of that stuff like the them throwing up the sandwich and whatnot, or there's this really um great moment where they are at a restaurant and the waiters drop their food and like it spills all over all the glasses and stuff breaks. And then they're like, (laughs) oh bend down
0: and start eating it. Yeah,
1: they bend down and start eating it. They're like, oh no, it's okay. We won't tell. Like, tell, tell who? who? Who are you going to tell him? and then they just start eating it off the floor. So stuff like that, where even if it doesn't make sense, it's clear that that's the goal they're, they're going for. And that, you know, for me, I just find that stuff so funny when they subvert expectations however they can. Um, like, this movie is very funny to me in that way. And I think that's probably, I might have enjoyed it more than you did um, more than you all did uh, in that respect, uh, but yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from with just some of it being a little yeah. a little too much
0: I, I I think so too like for um a lot of the, a lot of the events that you can't really interpret they seem to be there for like comedic relief or anything like that, but another thing is that maybe they just don't want to be interpreted like. It's just a decision like what if we just have them vomit pink goo but there's actually no legitimate explanation for that and we can do it nobody's going to stop us
1: the implication was that they're throwing up the food like they maybe
0: it it's, anyway. well maybe it's not though because it's pink goo if they're throwing up the food wouldn't have been the like, same color or a similar color to the beige of a sandwich but it's pink it's like a brilliant pink that you can clearly tell and i'm just thinking maybe these things aren't up for interpretation like it's a creative decision, maybe you just want your characters to have this happen to them for no reason and there is no valid reason to say so. Mm
3: -hmm. I think um, going back to Lisa and Jill's relationship, I thought it was kind of, I really did feel bad for Lisa in the beginning of the movie um, just because she felt, I feel like she felt really miserable in her home and like where she was and then I realized that I feel like this isn't really talked about or maybe it's not on the front because there's so much going on in the movie that this isn't on the surface but like Lisa was visibly in love with Jill's husband so she was definitely like jealous of Jill (laughs) so I feel like that just made their relationship a whole lot more complicated.
1: Yeah and speaking of the the husbands and that moment in particular uh there's a scene where Jill and Lisa end up kissing the wrong husband. And then they realize it, they both realize it mid kiss. And then they're like, Oh, wait a minute, wrong husband. And then they all laugh about it.
0: And they just, and they switch, and they just and casually they start, switch.
1: Yeah. And then they just start kissing again with their braces and their saliva. And it's really disturbing. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I think that's like another...
2: Yeah, and they used the excuse of, "Oh, I confused you know you for my husband because you had the baby." Like, "You had my baby." Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the one wife is like seven feet tall, so <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be that difficult. It, it's just you were you were mentioning that the goal is to like continuously throw off the viewer, and I think that's absolutely true. Where you know you would sort of like come to understand this baseline of. Um, of weirdness and you'd sort of accept it, right? You accept the rules uh, that the movie provides you within the bounds of like this world. But then they would do something that was just outside of their own bounds that they created that would just like throw you off. Like you would accept that people, you know, in this this world act super weirdly and are all super jealous of each other. Um, And then they would just do something completely random, like turning a child into a dog or, you know, having a soccer ball as a baby. And it, it always just like, threw me off so much and I spent half the movie being confused about what I was watching and then the other half confused about why I was watching it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I do um, think
0: that oh sorry. You can go ahead. But, yeah, I do think that the children in this movie are very peculiar and they're really interesting cuz for the most part they seem to kind of be in the background but there is a particular show like within this uh this movie called uh I think is it like Kids for kids with knives or something kids with knives yeah. kids with knives that is just forbidden like you cannot watch that or you'll turn like insane which is what happened to Lisa's oldest son like one afternoon he uh watched a little bit of kids with knives unsupervised because his dad fell asleep on the couch and then after that moment he was never the same like he was literally like a drunk truck driver cussing at everything like screaming at people and it was just that impact the impact of that show and that part like really- all of a
1: sudden he has he has cigarettes and he's trying to smoke it during yeah. the shoot like that stuff. <laughs> he
0: just like he just evolved like that part that was especially like it was a moment where you just completely was you were completely thrown off and I also think that complements what happened to Jill's child, which we've discussed like before, um, how her son fell into a pool and emerged as a golden retriever. Like weird things just keep happening to these kids or the kids are just volleyballs. Like...
1: Yeah, they're like, they're oddly secondary to everything where they just, things happen. I mean, I guess things happen to everyone. Like no one is real, really like, a, no one really motivates any change. They just kind of like something will be brought up and then the characters have to kind of just find their way to accept it or to like deal with it. For example, um, the, the, uh, probably my favorite named character, Kim Ann, is, uh, divorces her husband and then her husband, what does he do? He like lives on top of the like he lives above post the postman office.
0: yeah above the postman yeah
1: he lives on he lives above the postman like just that after he gets divorced like she gets the house and everything and then he has to move away on his little golf cart and like and like live there and then when jill eventually divorces her husband for again arbitrary reasons just because okay. her
2: friends are yeah, like she was convinced to in a bowling alley with one sentence yeah J- jill
0: you guys should get a divorce
2: like, <laughs> a divorce are you (laughs) happy? Yeah, like just
1: stuff like that where and then they're discussing it afterwards and um, Jill's husband Nick who's played wonderfully by um, SNL's Beck Bennett, uh, he's just like sitting there like I still don't understand like we didn't even have a discussion about this and they didn't and it's like it's sort of like making fun of I think in, in a normal movie that scene would be more like well, I mean, I feel like we're just rushing into this and like he, he would be saying all that stuff. But it would be like him just kind of not being able to accept the divorce. But in this movie, they literally did not talk about anything, no no legal things, no it, it's just like a a quick a very quick moment in, in the actual movie where nothing leads up to it and nothing really comes out of it. Uh and that's why I say this movie is very episodic because nothing has like, not many things have, a, have an effect on the other. Um,
0: yeah, like the there only is a logical plot. conclusion I could come to with uh, Jill's sudden divorce is that Lisa could now hook up with her husband, but that also didn't happen.
1: Yeah, that didn't happen. Like, either. Now that her... <laughs> I think, yeah, I think... it's just kind of a, an air of jealousy kind of all around.
3: The more um, the more I think about the movie, the more I see it as a, just one really, really big parody of actual suburban life. Because because if you like if you think about it um, deeper, you can see that the kid, um, whenever he watches TV, he gets dumber. Julian, the Jill's kid, I feel like because like in the just beginning, so remember, he was-, <laughs> but he was in Rocket Math or whatever. And then, like later, he got turned into a dog. He watched Popeye, <laughs> and then he started talking about Popeye's... No, 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 no.
0: But- it's because he got turned into a dog, and he can no longer count.
2: Yeah, dogs can't. So
0: no, no, I know. A dog
2: like, in an accelerated math program.
3: Like you know, you know, when he would watch the baking show, um, and then he would just like stare at it random, yeah, and he wouldn't do anything with it. And then later, as a dog, he kept watching the same same show. And then the dad started watching, and then he turned like a zombie. And I felt like that kind of reflected how TV, like how people see TV. Yeah, is it
0: really. Rotten. Yeah, it really shows how impressionable the youth are. Like how they're affected by TV. Like kids with knives, it, they can't watch that, but they can. But they can watch the corny, cheesy, dumb cooking programs and stuff, and just get glued to that. But then there's like the bad show, and beca- and it really shows like how they just absorb everything around them like a sponge, which is also really ironic how they don't realize that they're actually playing soccer on graves and stuff like that. And how so much of the movie is centered on death.
1: It's so like subconscious and everything. And speaking of death, uh, that comes up like surprisingly a lot in this movie, Uh, particularly like Miss Human's uh, murder or not her murder, but her mother's murder of her brother, sister and father. Uh, which is mentioned, and that kind of like all these, as you're saying, Kobe, like the dark undertones, like that really has says a lot about the setting, uh, which is very. That, that's like another point of
2: discussion entirely. Uh, so, what do you guys think about that? Just the setting in the, the setting, the setting in combination with sort of just like the color palette of the movie, it it's like it's sort of like a fantastical, like gives off the vibe of of a utopia. I mean, I mean, the grass is like super green. There's like this. Uh, This pasty sort of look to everything where it's all looks like it's been like washed over, like it's a cartoonish, like perfect city. It's the thing that you imagine as like a utopia, except it's not.
3: It reminds me a lot of. You go ahead. You go ahead.
2: Okay. Um, It, uh, yeah,
1: it definitely gives off those vibes of like, and there's a lot of things that are like, their problems are so minor like the, the biggest problems that the, the characters have in the film is just what their, what others opinions of them are for the most part and how they try to uphold, uphold that image. So in terms of like, the characters don't really undergo anything too drastic. It's like all on the surface. And I think that the setting and especially the visuals um, reflect that, um, that shallowness that the characters have.
3: Yeah, it really reminds me of the show, um, The Good Place where they're all actually in hell, but it's portrayed as this really colorful, wonderful utopia, kind of a little bit, you know, fifties-esque, um, definitely a lot more like vintage, I guess, in this movie, it felt like it because they had these fu- they had these TVs, but they were all like kind of boxy TVs, as well as they didn't really have cell phones or anything, or I didn't really see any computers. Um, and I feel like, it kind of maybe could be like hell, hell, um, like the, the world that they're living in because it just reminds me of that. Like everything seems good and dandy, but then in, in the end, it's kind of like, this is really bad.
2: Yeah, I, it reminded me a lot of The Good Place actually. I'm glad you brought that up. I don't know if you noticed, but it actually shares an actor as well. Uh, Janet from The Good Place is in this movie. Um, and on that subject, there were a lot of actors that I recognized, and like I did not expect to see in a movie like this. And it just made me wonder why they accepted this movie. <laughs> I mean, it's just like there's the the SNL guy, there's Janet, there's um, the divorced wife is uh, Donna in Suits. There's um, th- there's just like there's so many people that I recognized, and I just went like you know, a How did they afford these people? B Did they blackmail them into accepting this role? Like it I don't know, it just confused me so much, but it was it was interesting. Just
1: because you wouldn't be in a in a movie like this, Kobe, doesn't mean they wouldn't They wouldn't, wouldn't
2: either. Actors. I'm telling you, they wouldn't either. There is a, there is an
1: audience for this,
2: and I make up one hundred percent of that audience. Uh-huh. Yes. There's there's less of an audience for this movie than there are people in this town. <laughs> I mean, it has like a six point three on IMDB.
1: So that's telling,
2: but Yes, the one person that voted zero and the other person that voted eight.
3: That's like an 81 on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, screw other how...
2: people's
1: opinions. <laughs> this is They're this is our them. podcast. All right, yeah, so like, definitely a utopia but kind of a dystopia at the same time. There's no real government. I mean, what you guys were talking about, like how it's very similar to hell. Um, I think that that would be a viable option if there wasn't the ending where Jill actually leaves. And I find it so weird that it's so easy to leave that they can just travel, like drive their little golf cart off the premises at any time. And then she enters a location that is like not as pristinely lit or designed or anything. It just kind of looks way more normal. Um, And she goes to the house that she grew up in and there's another family living there and they, the mother of that uh, family of all these children kind of kicks her out after she says, can I have one of your children kind of bringing back a full circle uh, to the beginning of the film. Um, but when she when she escapes like that, it was weird. It was it reminded me a lot of the Truman Show where. Truman is just, but like not actually, they're not actually in this big dome of like society. It's,
0: it's not as obvious, like it was kind of concerning how easily she could just leave because then it makes you yeah. think of, well, is this like exit, is it, it two way? Can people just come in from the real world? Are they able to just enter into the society? Because there seems to be like a set population of people already.
1: But then even in the, um, there's a news broad- broadcast that, that occurs when Jill is on the outside. And the news broadcasters from presumably another town are like also as pompous and like a, a concerned with their appearance um as the characters and the as the other characters in the film are um so it kind of even though there is that like sheen sheen of like uh you know perfection in the uh in the town that they live in um it seems like the rest of the world is just kind of is just as Um, inclined uh, to those kind of personas, even if it looks very different and there are maybe more normal people on the outside. Uh, But I do find it interesting that there is this kind of weird culture that exists in one location where when she leaves that, um, it's much, much different.
0: I also found it really interesting, the general editing and movie soundtrack of the movie, like how it worked because in the beginning, in the beginning you get a lot of dramatic pauses and just like suspenseful music and stuff and then there are a series of really weird cuts where just as something big is, go- like you feel like something big is going to happen and the music is just slowly creeping up and building to that point and then they cut and they go back to like Jill's, ba- like Lisa's family posing for a photo or something and you're just like, what is going on? They're not letting you get the full effect like too early in the movie.
1: Zenaida, were you going to add something?
3: Oh, yeah, I agree with what Olivia said about sort of the editing being a little bit not, I'm really bad at like finding words. Untraditional, like not traditional. Yeah, 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 not traditional. Um, I wanted to go back to the point where you said, like, how she can easily go to the outside world and why sort of like, why aren't they leaving or why aren't more people coming in? And I kind of relate to this just like living in a specific borough of a county that exists in the world. um, I can see like living in a city or living in a suburb. I, though I can easily get in a car and drive to the big city that is, you know, not too far away. I don't really do it that often and um, neither like do my parents very often. Um, and I don't think we do that because we don't want to. I think it's just, you're, you're kind of stuck in this suburb community and you, it's like, you're kind of just like stuck there and it's mm-hmm. a little hard to get out. And I feel like that's how maybe it feels for them. And especially living, um, I used to live like on this island like place but it wasn't really an island. It was 15 minutes from a city. And literally everyone knew each other and they barely even left the island. And it was just so weird. And it kind of really reminded me of this. Yeah,
0: I guess also there just doesn't seem to be a need to leave the city. Like the people seem content for the most part, like other than Lisa, obviously, but everybody else, they seem content with where they are in life and like where they live. So I guess there really isn't just a need for them to go out and explore anymore because their like little paradise already has everything that they feel like they need in life.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Like they, they just kind of go through the motions of like daily life. And it's not really, it's not that they're trapped there by anything. Really, There's no metaphysical, like thing, even though it's kind of, it seems like it would be that way. Like what, okay, what force is like controlling their lives? Like, why do these rules exist? Or why are they acting like this? Or what's going on? And I think the answer to that is just that they just act like that because they want to or maybe not because they want to but just because that's what they know is correct or that's what they know like what they've been taught to do by just everyone else living there like everyone learns from everyone what the norms are and what you know how how they're supposed to act um, so I did find that part really interesting and that's definitely reflected in in a lot of other movies of this nature.
0: Yeah. And I think that one of the most like significant or funny norms in the movie is the fact that everybody wears braces, like from the start, every single grown man and woman in the town, they're all wearing a set of metal braces and you don't really think much of it, like other than the fact that it's always shown when they're smiling and like they do zoom, they do occasional zoom-ins of it, but you really don't think much of it until Lisa takes the golf cart and leaves the town. And the first thing she does after she leaves is she actually takes a pair of like pliers and she completely cuts her braces in half and just takes off every single little metal bracket. And her mouth is bleeding and stuff and she looks like a mad woman, but then she just speeds off and continues driving. And I thought that was really significant. Like, what did you guys think was the purpose or the significance behind the braces in the story?
2: Kind of like shackles. I mean, she she takes them off when she leaves the city. Uh, and it's kind of like when her life falls apart and it, it's when she begins to realize that the things that she thought she valued um, no longer matter. And so she's kind of like, she sees her braces in the mirror and, and I think she interprets them as that, that, something that was locking her into um, the society, but then mm-hmm. she goes back. Yeah, she goes back, she's and ready. she's still like terrified, and she
1: wants to get out. of it, But like, I think, and then the movie ends. So it's just like, yeah, it, 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 it kind will
0: of kind of be that. Like- Yeah, I kind of felt like the braces thing, like I agree with Kobe. And I think that the purpose of it was to kind of keep them in line. Like braces are purely cosmetic and they're used to kind of like perfect your teeth and stuff. And it keeps you in line, like it keeps your teeth in line. And I think that to an extent that was also applied to the people living in this town. Cause nobody ever did anything like that was out of the ordinary. Like they didn't want to draw attention to themselves. There was always this sense of competition. Like you always wanted to do exactly what the other person was doing, but you wanted to do it better than them. Like in that sense, like everybody, everything was just a competition and they were constantly trying to like one up one another. Do these people have jobs
2: or do they just like exist in a purely social neighborhood where they do nothing but go to kids soccer games and have backyard parties and baby showers
0: i feel like the only like defined job that you hear of in the movie is the job of the postman but after that not- and the yoga instructor but there's after a that,
2: teacher there's a teacher
1: too. yeah the
0: yoga teacher yeah
2: no, no just the school teacher
1: too. oh yeah the
0: school teacher yeah but those seem but to be like the three main it. occupations yeah. and then they
1: mention um julian uh uh nick jill's husband uh mentions that since Julian isn't uh, in rocket math anymore. He's like, well, he wasn't going to be an accountant. And that kind of just made me think like, well, are, are there accountants? Does anyone, yeah. Does anyone work other than, other than those three that we just mentioned? And we never actually like see the postman, I don't think. So it's, it's, again, it's stuff that's very secondary to the rest of the world where I think the focus of the movie is so heavily on like social norms, um, and and that kind of thematic avenue. That like, it's just another odd, like very purposeful choice uh, to have no one have a reason. Oh, and the and the soccer coach as well, the black soccer coach. Wow.
2: Well, but I, I figured I figured that was just like a volunteer job, like usually for the you know kids soccer games. The refs are just like, you know, a team parent or whatever.
1: I guess, but like even a, even a volunteer job, like no one's, no yeah. one's really doing anything. Um, and I think that's kind of, I mean, obviously it was a purposeful decision. Like the the, the world doesn't make sense in this movie for a reason. Um, and I think, again, it's just to focus more on what they were trying to do. And it's yeah. kind of weird, like funny yeah. detail that no one, no one ever really works. They're just worried about what other people think of them. And that's like the main focus.
0: And for the most part, I didn't like actually think throughout the movie, wait, I don't think these people have jobs. Like it, it, it for me personally, it was kind of just like a detail that escaped my mind until maybe after we watched the movie or now that we're discussing it, I'm realizing, wait, there don't, there doesn't seem to be like definitive jobs that these people have like because I was just so focused on instead how they were acting and like the issues that mm-hmm. they were having socially among each other.
1: Yeah. All right. So I want to introduce, a question that Kobe brought up uh, to us as he was watching the movie, uh, which is, uh, let's find it here. Uh, is it still a good movie when the filmmakers accomplish their goal if their goal was fucking insane? <laughs> so, what we When think- I asked this, thing?
2: it was more of a rhetorical question, in my opinion, and that answer is no, but I am curious to uh, to know if you guys have different answers.
1: Um, Can you
3: repeat the question?
2: W- what,
1: uh... Yeah. If, is it still a good movie when the filmmakers accomplish their goal, if their goal is insane, or if their goal is not, like, let's say someone said like, okay, I'm going to make the worst movie of all time, and they succeed. Uh, is that really commendable?
0: I mean, if we're speaking on like, if we're speaking on like, human to human, just the fact that you accomplish a goal, then yeah, I guess good for you, you accomplish the goal. But now we get into terms of what that goal actually is. It's debatable. We wanna be proud of people for being able to get through something. But if that something is like it didn't make a valuable contribution to the world, then I guess.
1: (laughs) I think this movie has value.
0: Yeah, not necessarily about the movie. I guess more just in general.
2: Well, that's a question though, is if this movie did not exist at all and never would exist, would uh, the film industry, would would there be like a gap in, in genres of films?
3: I don't think so, but I think this movie was an interesting creative venture. Um, The one thing I would compare this movie to, I feel like it kind of will become a cult classic if more people were to watch it over the years, because the chaotic energy reminds me a lot of The Room, Um, like the really, really bad movie (laughs) of The Room. Um, And it just like that became a cult classic and it was just so bad that it was good. And um, same with like this movie called like Birds Bird Bird Apocalypse, and it was like an Alfred Hitchcock parody, and it was just really bad CGI birds, and it also became like a cult classic for a lot of people. And I thought that was really funny. And this kind of reminds me of that, except the production quality I feel like is a lot higher, and there is a, a lot more I think value to it because yeah, it's not it's not like a bad movie. It's not a bad movie like exactly. the room, like yeah.
2: Well, but how is it different than The Room? <laughs> <laughs> it has... What does it have that The Room does not? I mean, it has almost just as much of a story as The Room. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> that... It's a little bit more thought out. But, like, it's not like The Room was filmed on a phone. Like, The Room was still, like, made like a good movie.
1: Uh, okay, I haven't seen The Room. So I'm not going to comment on that part. But I just for the purposes of this movie... There is, a, I don't watch movies lightly, you know. I, I I think I think you all have learned that by now. I I like to pay attention, um, and this movie rewards you for paying attention, um, or it rewarded me. What way? And, and I think that, uh, in terms of just how much I enjoyed what they were doing, like what what they did on purpose. Nothing like for with the room that movie, when they say it's like so bad it's good, they mean that the filmmakers accomplished something that they didn't know they were accomplishing. They didn't mean for it to be bad. Um, Or they, I guess they didn't mean for it to be good, um, depending on your opinion. But the um, with Greener Grass, um, the movie has qualities to it that like you can, I can tell they're thought out and I can tell where like watching the whole movie is necessary to understand what it's trying to say. And I really appreciate the amount of detail that goes into it and the level of thought that goes into it, not just because like it's an accomplishment, but because for me it ends up coming across as like a very valuable piece of entertainment, not just because it's funny and creative and exciting to watch, um, but because it has like uh, thematic merit I think, in, in, in terms of its comments on, um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of movies like this where, where basically it can just be boiled down to, uh, we live in a society, but this movie does it very, very well. Um, so I appreciate that. Uh, however, that's just my opinion and I like weird stuff. So you all probably don't agree with me, especially you, Kobe, because mm-hmm. you just kind of have a stern look on your face right now. So I can tell you're thinking the opposite.
3: I saw someone, um, I was like, I was, I was watching the movie and then I decided to go to YouTube and search the movie up and watch the trailer.
0: Um, That's just what to I did like,
3: too, yeah. Yeah, how different it was. And then in the comments, I saw someone say that it was like if Wes Anderson was directing it and David Lynch wrote it. And I know that David Lynch made movies like... Um,
1: Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Uh, what is Twin that uh, Lost Highway. That Those are the two I've seen.
3: Yeah, and he, I guess he makes these chaotic films. I haven't personally seen any of them, um, they are chaotic. but I kind of looked into them. Yeah. chaotic. So I feel like the movie was meant to like have this facade of being aesthetically pleasing and really nice. Whereas the story is just like, like you said, you have to really pay attention to the details. And I, going back to the original question, I think that the directors did achieve their goal. I think it was insane, but it was a good movie because they didn't just throw it out there randomly. They put thought into each step that went on, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah,
0: I agree with that.
3: Well, Miles is a man
0: of weird movies and pretty good opinions about them. So I guess this is a way to transition to... Our last segment of this episode, Miles, is movie madness. You have all been waiting for this. Here we go.
3: Yeah, I'm sure
1: everyone's been waiting for your favorite part of the podcast. Uh, what am I going to talk about today? I've already forgotten. Um, oh, oh, I know. Okay, so somehow I found a short film that is even weirder than this one. Uh, than this movie, Greener Grass. It's called. It's a French movie called Baby Anger or Bébé Collier, if you're uh, if you speak French. Uh, it came out this year it's 13 minutes long and it follows a um a cgi baby um as she narrates the beginning of her life and how tragic it was and how and you just kind of follow her uh not i wouldn't say grow up because the cgi like it's it's what is it called when it's um not it's like pre-made um it's like a pre-made cgi model um for a baby and that's like the main character and she narrates her life um and Wait, like what does what she's that mean?
0: Is, is it like is it like a really human looking baby or is it like a wax doll it's, no it's like it's like, like, a, it's like a cartoon doll or...
1: it's like an it's like an appealing cartoon however other than that figure and like some other figures in pictures throughout, um, everything is real photography. So you just kind of see this CGI animated baby walking awkwardly across like real landscapes um, and undergoing like a psychological metamorphosis as she's narrating. Uh, and it's one of the um, strangest things I've ever seen, but it's very good. Uh, it's surprisingly good. It kind of takes this the meta narrative of like modern memes and just how like ridiculous everything is uh, and puts that s- where you have this, like a CGI baby in, in real circumstances and it just like look, re- looks and sounds ridiculous uh, what she's talking about. And then it actually turns the film, they, they turn the film into something that um, really works and actually is like emotionally resonant uh, just like the monologues that she goes on. Uh, about like what she's thinking and her and her life up to this point and her regrets and everything, uh, it's very relatable in a weird way, and it's just a very what, special. What
0: thing. makes the what makes the movie what makes the film tragic? Like you said in the beginning, so I'm expecting that it ends in something oh. horrifying, like someone steps on the baby or something. Like what no, happens that makes it tragic. Nothing.
1: Nothing happens. In fact, the baby mentions that she cannot feel pain. And there's a moment where she like, she's like tattooing her leg and like sticking a knife through her arm or whatever. And it's like, so yeah, it's, it's, it's that, it's that kind of weird internet shit, internet stuff. I, I don't want to spoil anything. It is only 13 minutes, um, but I, I'd highly recommend it. It transcends like memes and like just how ridiculous it is. And, and it goes, it takes that idea and runs with it.
0: See if, if if you can subject yourself to watching a 13-minute uh, film that seems to transcend reality in essence. I don't see why we shouldn't be we shouldn't watch cats. I'm still going to bring that up. Because cats is way I longer.
2: Think,
1: uh, no,
0: but <laughs> so Zenaida, this is something that I've been trying to persuade them since probably episode two is that we should watch cats for one of the episodes of the podcast. Yeah,
1: yeah, all the way back to, to episode yourself. two, two episodes yeah. ago. <laughs>
0: yeah two episodes ago so long ago but i've been trying to get them on board to watching cats for an episode of the podcast we
3: should
2: no 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 we, we shouldn't we shouldn't we should
3: we should we should watch like really really bad movies and then talk about them
2: wow you guys are destructive forces on this <laughs> <laughs> oh man kobe's just
1: in it for the money except we don't even <laughs> make money off this <laughs>
2: So he's in it for literally no reason. <laughs> on our, on our uh, thousands of sponsorships that we've done for our projects.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, this video is sponsored by Raycon. Uh, Raycon <laughs> earbuds. Ray, Raycon wireless earbuds. They never
0: fall out when I go running. Like, uh, I do know I run.
1: <laughs> they're wireless earbuds and uh, they connect via Bluetooth and they're, they're, they're very handy. Uh, I own some Raycon. This is actually not sponsored by Raycon. That was just a very we just
0: lost our Raycon sponsorship in the future.
1: Yeah, Sorry, it. Raycon. No, uh, maybe I like your earbuds, you. but you know, what's that? Maybe they'll back pay us, or or it's like that. Uh, it's like that. Uh, Bo Burnham bit where he's like in the middle of his special. He's like, uh, uh this special is spe- uh, sponsored by Flamin' Hot Cheetos, and then it goes on like a whole song of Flamin' Hot Cheetos. But we're not as creative as Bo Burnham. Uh, so we didn't actually prepare anything. Uh, and that's the end of the podcast. I yeah,
0: I guess that's the end of this episode, guys. We made Hopefully it. we'll
1: get sponsored soon by someone. And sorry for have accidentally.
2: have a reason to do this.
3: <laughs> I was going to say sorry for accidentally exposing my location.
2: It, it really, like, it doesn't matter. Like, we, we, didn't we, like, already sort of associate it with? Like, someone could just look that up.
0: Okay, but also, we literally we are literally part of a podcast. For the most part, we do not exist. This is degenerate media. We are on a podcast. Like People don't even know that we are actually real and exist. They just listen to us. Yeah, so there's oh, is
3: that. this just like an audio thing? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks for listening to us ramble about uh, a movie that no one will ever see or has ever seen except for us. And next week, we'll watch... Parasite.
0: And thank you to Zenaida for being
3: a wonderful guest. Yeah,
1: thanks Zenaida. Yay. Thanks
3: for letting me come. It was really fun.
1: We hope to see you at school one day.
3: Hopefully. Hopefully next year, maybe. Oh, wait. Wait. Like next year, like January, February. That we should stop rolling. 2021. You know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, all right. We record these in advance. So if that date is wrong, then just uh, it's wrong. I'm sorry. All right. That's the end. Goodbye. Thanks for listening.